Thanks, Bill. I'm Jim. I'm an alcoholic. Through God's grace program of Alcoholics Anonymous and sponsorship, I've been sober since the 4th of June, 1976. I am drifting in and out of conscious to subconscious to wherever you go as a result of that, but it's uh, not quite as bad as two of our earlier presenters. They gave us a word, and neither one of them explained it. Right? Right? Chautauqua. Who wants to explain Chautauqua? No, I don't. I'm one of the dummies. Ooh, how? Chautauqua is a place in New York, in the first place. It's a city in New York. It's an Indian name. It's the name of a town. And out of here, there are a bunch of people who went around and who professionally spoke all over the country. And they would put on seminars that may be on religion or science or uh, sociology or politics or whatever it was, and they were paid speakers. And it was the Chautauqua circuit that they talked about. And uh, these were an outgrowth, frankly, of the uh, Washingtonian movement. They did the same thing because the uh, uh, Oxford group members did the same thing. They used to have huge rallies and uh, there and talk about spiritual matters and so on and so forth, and much in the same fashion. The, uh, Williams Jennings Bryant was a Chautauqua speaker, for an example, a famed member from uh, <coughs> member of. Uh, the state of Nebraska, who is uh, quoted as saying that, well, people said William, someone accused him of being like the Platte, his intellect being like the Platte River. It was very broad, but shallow. <laughs> and, uh, but he was one of the great speakers that was on the circuit. He was the fellow that some people hear this quote about something being as worthless and as useless as a pitcher of warm spit. And... He didn't say that. Uh, he said it was as worthless and useless as a as a pitcher of warm piss. But uh, that's the type of speakers that you had in those days. Thank God they cleaned up their voices today. Thanks, Dick. I am very grateful to to be here today. I didn't wake up brain dead after the surgery, uh, so. You know, all of that apprehension. I do want to share something about the surgery because it really ties in to how I fit into everything that's been said here today. You know, when you, if those of you that had that kind of surgery, supposedly it's, it's routine, you're in and out. Well, nothing's routine when they put you all the way under. I mean, you're about as close to death as you ever get. And uh, so I went in this process to ask you all these questions. And they had this one question, what's your, what's your pain level? From one to five, how would you rate your pain level? Five. Right? I'm a five when it comes to pain level. Go through this process. They don't give you pre-op shots anymore. They just wheel you all over the place and shave you and get you in the operating room, lay you out, and then, then give you the pimenthal or whatever. And so I got in there, and I'm going through this process, and I'm alert, and they put the, the oxygen mask on. And the oxygen mask, the oxygen's control breathing. Now, they want to control your breathing while you're on that table, not you. So it has a you sort of forced against it. And the last thing I remember before I went out, they forgot to ask me what my fear level was. <laughs> Just as clear as day. Just, don't you know I'm scared now? You know? And that was all related. I was going through this, and they take your blood pressure. It seemed like every time you turn around, I was clicking along at 120 over 65, everywhere you go, even in the operating room. When they first wheeled me in, they took it 120 over, over 70, and they hook you up to the monitor, and then that's also is, is what my fears are. 
that beeps. By the time I went under, it went beep, 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 Basically, a lot of people have talked about it up here, and I, I really like the theme of what I've heard. You know, that, that Alcoholics Anonymous wasn't formed out of quality. It wasn't formed out of quality. It wasn't formed out of, out of high spiritual things. That's been the end result. It was formed out of pain and misery and guilt and shame and, and, and human beings destroying everything important to, to them. That's what, that's what created Alcoholics Anonymous. That's what cre- creates us. And as far as I'm concerned, I think the spirit of Alcoholics Anonymous is live and well in this room today. And I think that's what Alcoholics Anonymous is all about. You know, I, several years ago, Clancy was here, and I'm going to talk a little bit about some of the things that have happened since Bill died and since the 70s, and that have really been tests of our traditions. And I think we've weathered some of those quite well. But Clancy was here about 10 years ago, and, and, and I think we, he was in Kearney, and several of us rode in the car with him all the way out there. And so uh, that was a, a, a joy and a, and a fear all in itself to spend, you know, uh, three, three hours with Clancy in a car because you get grilled about everything, you know, and that sort of thing. <laughs> and he was, he was talking about that, and he said, you know, I, I was, have been a little concerned about what's going on with, with, with treatment lately and with all these movements and this sort of thing. And he said... Then I realized that if, if, even if all of that happened and Alcoholics Anonymous, as I know, disappeared, I know a few people would get together and would start Alcoholics Anonymous. You know, so I, I, I think what I've heard today, and I hope you've heard it, is the spirit of Alcoholics Anonymous. And as long as the spirit of Alcoholics Anonymous is alive, myself as an alcoholic, my kids if they need it, like Peggy said, my grandkids and great-grandkids, you know... Uh, it's going to be there. It's going to be there for them. I um, also heard, in, in basically what I want to talk about uh, today is how I think that, that we have, have evolved through with the traditions and a lot of things happening to, to move from a definition of membership. You know, the time I've been involved, I've seen that refinement. Maybe it's because of the groups I've been associated with. I've seen the consistency of the principles of the tradition since I went to my first meeting of Alcoholics Anonymous. I didn't stay sober after I went to my first meeting. I went to my first meeting in Tucson, Arizona. As a result of a, of a, of a cry for help I made to a flight surgeon who didn't want to put that on my military records because he, he said, if I do that, then your military career is probably shot and so forth. So he called another person who came over and we went and had coffee and he 12 stepped me. <clears throat> and, and Don Hickerson did that in June of 1971. And I went to AA for a while, off and on for three years. I loved AA, but I wasn't quite ready yet. As Peggy said and others have said, I still had a little bit of I can do it my own way left. But I remember from the beginning the feeling I had when I went to that meeting, the feeling I had when that individual came out of himself, took a chance, as I saw it, with a stranger to help a stranger. I realize now he was doing that to save his own rear end. But I didn't know it at the time. He treated me with dignity and respect. Did not demand anything of me. But at the same time, he wouldn't let me get away with not showing up those meetings because he'd just say, I'll be by at a quarter of seven. He was one of those kind of guys. I didn't get a chance to drive my own car to the first five or six A meetings. I thought that was part of the rules. You can't drive for a while in the head. 
But he did those things, and the people in those groups there, and I would, <clears throat> I would go out and I would drink, and I would stay out for 30, 60 days, and I'd go back and I'd go to meetings for 30, 60 days. And I did that for about three years, in and out. Uh, to you know, I hit that, that, that place that many of you had, had to hit. It's like I either have to get into AA or get out. At that time, I chose to get out for two more years. But I appreciate the, the, the principles that they showed me all the way through that. When I went to those meetings, no matter when, there was a degree of consistency. There was a kindness. They treated me with that dignity and respect. And one of the greatest things they did for me, that group in, groups in Tucson, was they never told me it was okay. They never told me it was okay. When I, but they always told me they understood. They understood. When I, was, I moved to California, and that's where I came in AA, had my last drink on the 4th of June. When I went to that, that meeting on the 5th of June, I walked in there, somebody walked up, shook my hand. I could see very, very quickly that they'd like to treat people with dignity and respect in relationship to whether they stayed sober or not, but still treated with the dignity and respect of offering the assistance. And I was home compared to Tucson. I got a sponsor, his name was Dick Jones, very uh, involved in the steps in the big book. Got me. Uh, in fact, he was one of the designated group big book thumpers at that time. You know, I'm glad that I, I got involved with him. I had to leave California two and a half years after I came in the program. Again, it's a geographical move, right? Maybe I can control it again. You know how the alcoholic mind start working in that process. I came to Omaha, went around looking for meetings. I didn't. I had to stick my hand out at those meetings, and I'm glad I was taught to do that. And again, as Peggy said, that is not an inventory. I'm making of those meetings, it's something I have to be aware of from my observations of the past to make sure I don't do it today. I went around, finally, I was getting a little frustrated with it. And I told my wife, I said, I'm going to go to this, go over to Bellevue, try this meeting. Uh, a gentleman who's my current day sponsor walked in, said, you're not new to A, but you're new to this area. Here's an invitation to my New Year's Eve party. You know, and I've been going ever since. There's been a bit of a bed of roses, as we said. But there's a common thread in my involvement with AA that runs all the way through that whole process. It was consistency of caring for the alcoholic that's walking in that's new. You know, they didn't necessarily practice these traditions in, in Tucson as best I can remember it the way I practice them here with the groups I'm involved with, or in California. But there was a consistency of carrying the message through that that there was people in each of those groups that were dedicated to making sure the newcomer walked in that group was going to get a message of how to recover from this thing called... So I've come to be a true believer that the traditions of Alcoholics Anonymous uh, have become an outgrowth of the steps as we gather together, and they create an environment. The traditions create an environment of safety, security, love, concern, where each of us can come in and do these tough things that the, the steps require of each other to do. I also have been shown, not told, I've been shown uh, how important it is to practice. I've also been told that, that when it becomes my responsibility to ensure that environment is, is put together and maintained, and maintained, that I will know it, then I have the responsibility to stand up and be part of it. You know, it's easy just to go to meetings. It was easy for me to take NAA for a long time because that's, that's what, what the design was. You, you gave me till I had the strength to be part of. And, it's, and I don't know when it was, but at a certain point, I was told in no uncertain terms that you have the responsibility for ensuring that these traditions 
explained within the, the fellowship of AA you're involved in so that that environment can keep going. So that newcomer can walk in and practice these painful things of the steps of AA. Seemingly in the last <coughs> 15 years or so, and uh, Dick and I had, we were talking about this, this at lunch. I said, you know, when, when uh, Bill Wilson died, it's sort of like there's been no real personality to AA since then. And I didn't realize how good that is, how good that really is. And Peggy did it well when she was explaining how Bill struggled to, to even be part of the traditions he wrote. And in, in a way, AA, when, when Bill died, it was like, okay, now it is the fellowship. It is not the personality anymore. Now, we have some strong leaders in AA. We have some strong leaders in our area. We need leaders. We need AA. You know, I'm the kind of alcoholic. If, if it becomes a debating society, you know, I'm going to just argue my point until it kills me. Uh, and so we need leaders. We need people to, to help set the course and, and break, break the path and all of those things in, in recovery and in, in, in group dynamics as we go through that. But we don't have that, that thing of this is Bill Wilson's program anymore. It's our program. In fact, this year at the General Service Conference, the, the entire purpose of the General Service AA takes its inventory, which is sort of a misnomer because there's going to be a few people of AA take our inventory. AA is not taking its inventory. Our, quote, trusted servants at the inventory. And I think it's imperative when we do that, and that's the way our service are set. But I, I, I have a real interest now to find out what they inventoried. I want to find out what they talked about, what's, what's really going on with it. Um, again, the environment, the traditions create just so we could all do the steps. And, and we have to have those other, other things going. In 1975, uh, I don't know how many of you have heard of the Rand Corporation. Uh, it was a, a group of very intellectual people. And it's a think tank. Uh, that they would gather people with expertise together and say, here's your subject. Go think. Wouldn't you like to do that in AA meetings? <laughs> okay, here's your subject. Go in that room and think for a half an hour. But these were very brilliant people. They're brilliant. They're, they're problem-solving type people they put together. And the Rand Corporation was, I think, headquartered in, out of Santa Barbara. Well, they did a study, a three-year study, on alcoholism. And they came up with a conclusion that about 20 to 25 percent of alcoholics can be taught. I was telling Dick, I became one of those 25 percent. <laughs> I read that report and I said, that's me. It's the discipline I, li I lack over here that, that, that creates. I became that 25 percent for another year. And that was in 1975. I got sober in There's been studies in, uh, coming out of Canada. Uh, and I'm, I'm talking about some of this stuff because it's not in violation of the tradition of having an opinion on an outside issue, because I think these are some things that impact on how we need to view the principles of our own tradition. Uh, there's been some studies in Canada lately that, uh, you know, that uh, looking at the same thing the Rand Report looking at. In fact, you know, they're they're coming out and saying there's no such thing as alcoholism; that it's a more of a metabolic uh, chemical imbalance type thing. Well, wait, that starts hitting, hitting it. Holly, the newcomers that we're going to be working with are going to be bringing in. Well, we want to go test that theory, you know, all of that kind of stuff. So I think we have to be aware of what's going on with that. <coughs> Treatment. Treatment. 
it has been uh, prior to 1975, treatment was virtually non There were little pockets of treatment places. To, Alcoholism treatment, as it's known today, was was, was not very uh, widespread. It it hit a pinnacle, hit a peak. Uh, there for a while, you know, treatment of twelve step call became a you know with a lot of people came a tr uh, taxi ride to treatment center. In some ways today, it still is. You know, we sort of got away from treatment. Allowed us to be the lazy alcoholics that we. It it played right into it. So well, I don't need to go sit up with that drunk all night. I'll just take him over to the treatment center X and put him in detox. And as a fellowship, we we did a lot of that stuff. Now some of this, some of this stuff, as, as we talk about this this errors of the past becoming an asset of today, there's a group of people started looking around that this is wrong. When an alcoholic calls us. He's calling, he or she is calling Alcoholics Anonymous. They are not calling a treatment. They call a treatment center, that's a different thing. But when they're calling us, they're calling Alcoholics Anonymous. So there's a group of rebels up in Minnesota that had this need to, to carry the message as, as, as defined in our 12 steps and through our tradition, got together and, and over a period of time developed a program called Bridging Gap. And you've heard of it, I'm sure. Most of you have. And what we, the reason we need bridging the gap, it was like we have, have some of our own members taking people to treatment centers, and then the treatment centers doing whatever they do. Treatment is not good or bad. It's just another place for an alcoholic to go before they have to go to AA. Hey, the way it is. Yeah. So they're not good or bad. But the way we were reacting to, and still do today, reacting to the needs of that alcoholic. You know, you take somebody... The taxi ride on a 12-step call because I'm too inconvenienced to, to sit and have coffee with a person and, and, and share my experience, strength, and hope with them and try to give them to meetings and this sort of stuff. So I take them out to a detox unit, drop them in. And you drop them quick anymore because if they don't have insurance, you might have to take them somewhere else. <laughs> so it, it's sort of like we relegated our responsibility to that person that's calling us for help and getting them over here. But then what do we do? We turn right around. The person's over here. The treatment center says, Okay, we'll feed you three times a day. We'll get you, you know, just by being off the booze, you're going to get better. You know, so we take a little time, go through this process. We'll give you some education, awareness. We advise you strongly to go to AA. And what happens many times to the AA member? Many times the AA member said, well, I'm not doing the goddamn treatment business for him. So that person is com coming out of that part. What do we do? We drop them flat on the face, you know. And I'm going to say all, but I've, I've seen enough of that to where, where you know, that, that we have to be careful how we throw stones, you know, if we're not in our own glass house. And that's one of the traditions and the principles that have come to us. There are people that need detox. They're medically, you know, particularly with a lot of drugs and interactions with all that stuff. And if you're involved in that and they need detox, fine, take them to the detox center, but why don't you go see them the next day? See, we sort of get away from that. And that's not meeting that primary purpose that, that we're here for. Uh, treatment centers are, like I say, they're uh, going away. Going away in the form that many of you knew when you went through the treatment. I'm a little bit uh, apprehensive about that part of it. Uh, and again, hopefully this doesn't come across as, as a, an opinion. But I did get a, a, a flyer in the mail the other day. It's from the American Psychiatric Association. And they have a new manual. 
It's a new treatment manual, therapeutic clinical treatment manual. And it's entitled, Alcoholism, the Newest Subspecialty in Psychiatry. Okay? That's just reporting. That's just reporting. I would hope, you know, again, if, if, if someone needs that kind of, of special help that they get it, I think it's just as bad not to get them the special it is to, to, to relegate our responsibility to that special help. If somebody needs it, they need it. And there's a lot of people that need it. But when I'm involved, uh, and I think most of you know, I've involved, been involved in the treatment business for years. I've never taken anybody to a treatment center. My sponsor won't let me. <laughs> it's that simple. Anyway, I better get off of that pretty quick. <laughs> um, you know, in treatment centers, we've been in that side of it. Treatment centers have, have been really good. You know, it, it, sometimes you've got to justify your own existence. Uh, so you, you, you have to create some things. Uh, I know there's one person in this, well, two people in this room who work in treatment. I think they're both involved in very special populations with that, and there are some special needs out there. But we've gone through the thing, and, I, and I, this is almost like an, an applaud for us, if I could do uh, I think we've handled the end uh, phase quite well. Uh, you know what that is. It's just somebody comes in, I'm, a, I'm an alcoholic and an addict and a dysfunctional sexual pervert that's me yeah that's, that's like we, we read that part at the meeting in the book big book about all those, those things we've tried I, I may not be an alcoholic i have not been committed to a sanitarium yet i've done all the rest of that stuff you know and i can relate to that and i think a lot of us can relate to those other things but i think we've handled it well or i've seen it handled well when it hasn't been that big. When I've seen it become an issue, then I think you start violating some of the stuff over. I think within what I've seen, the groups I've been associated with, we just keep hammering the tradition. Membership is a desire to stop drinking. To stop drinking. So you can be an alcoholic and anything you want to. As long as you're an alcoholic, you have a desire to stop drinking. There's been a lot of uh, talk about dysfunction and all those other things. Uh, we got a lot of people out there that uh, are making a lot of money writing books and going on speaking stuff. Just Tagwas in another form. I just thought of that in another form. Uh, I've got topics for my book, but my sponsor won't let me write them. <laughs> but, uh, but it, it, you know, I think the human condition that right now everywhere is everybody's everybody's needy of something. No, you know, it's, it's like a feeling. We don't have roots. We don't have. Uh, consistency in anything that's going on. That's why I love Alcoholics Anonymous. In spite of all this, I've got consistency, consistency, consistency. This, this is my roots now, and I'm glad I've got it. There's a lot of people out there that don't have what we have. They really don't have what we have. And I, I am personally glad some of those other things have started so they got a place to go. You know, Adult children of alcoholics, if that's all they are, do not fit in Alcoholics Anonymous. Not by our are demanding they don't fit by the simple fact they don't know what it means to be a real alcoholic you know and so it's good that that, that, that there are groups that have those things for themselves um you know i, I would think about an asset too when when everybody was talking you know an asset is something that 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 has value that you can use either now or later it's like having a bank account that's an asset. When you go fill out a loan for a house or a car, they want to know what your assets are. What are things that you have right now that are of value? 
And it's sort of weird when you think about it, pain and suffering and guilt and remorse and all of that stuff is of value. But it is of value because we use it to, to let each other know it's okay because we understand. And again, I'm glad Bill Wilson was, as Peggy said, a jerk. I was talking to somebody the other day, and it's one of these people who, uh, uh, he'll make it to A eventually. I really believe that. I really believe that. But he's got to, got to finish up some arguments first. He just has to do it. There's no, he doesn't have any choice. He does not have a choice once. He has to finish those arguments first. And he's saying, well, yeah, this AA is just like that cult thing down in Waco. And, you know, and of course, I've, I've had that argument with people before. I said, you don't know much about cults, and you don't know much about alcoholics if you make that statement. In order to be a cult, in a cult, you have to be malleable. You have to deform to somebody else's desires and wants and needs. Have you ever seen an alcoholic do anything they didn't want to? And I would even pass that on to 90% of the Alamans I know in this room. They're not going to do anything they don't want to do. Dick said it down in Lincoln uh, when, when he did a step study about a month ago. And he just looked around the room and, and he said, you know, there's not a follower in this room. Think about that. And several people allude to that. There's not a follower in this room. We all have to be in charge. It has to be our way. <laughs> and what do we do? We come and give of ourselves. You're quiet and you're attentive, even though you probably don't believe a word I'm saying, or you're, some of you out there are saying, I can do it better than he can, and what makes him an authority on all this crap? I know that, because I said I can do the same thing. <laughs> yeah? But we, despite all that, we come together. We come together to help each other. We come together to help each other. And I, that's the kind of group I want to be associated with. And as, as a result of all of that, you know, this other stuff, this other stuff that, that's, that's seemingly happening out there, you know, celebrities breaking their ass. You know, you got to go to this special treatment center. It's the only one. You know, that's bull. That's bull. As long as we keep the focus, the steadiness, the discipline, of making the principles of AA foremost in the group we serve. Nobody can hurt us. Nobody can hurt us. And, but we got to have some excitement. Going to the same old meetings, with the same old people, talk, get bored. Got to stir it up every once in a while. Smoking's a good one these days. <laughs> it is. It is. But that's the way we are. And it's working out. It's working out. But you know, it also is, is uh, and I'm a smoker, and I rebel at stuff. And I, uh, but think about it sometimes. And when the intent is to label or hurt somebody about, it's a judgment thing. And I've seen that happen in some of the groups. Oh, what? We'll survive. We won't drink. I haven't sneaked any smokes in a cigarette in a restroom where I'm not supposed to. You gotta do that. As my wife said yesterday, you went without a cigarette for nine hours. How come the first thing you did? You <laughs> Uh, you know, the AA population is, uh, you know, uh, and, and probably because there are a lot of new, new, new type things being formed, new programs and this sort of thing, I think, uh, I really believe AA, sometimes, uh, should I do the little actual go to the meetings I'm accustomed to going to and, and doing things with the people I'm supposed to? Uh, if you're new in the program, sit back and enjoy it. We're going to give, give, give. 
that you become part of the power to keep the principles of those traditions going so we all um, Clancy again I always like his one lines one of my favorites always has uh, if you can stay sober enough <laughs> yeah isn't that true that is so true and his other statement when we when we have these little little things we do to get our way is you know it's a, the only problem with Alcoholics Anonymous is there's two dead. You know, I am uh, the arrogant wimp. Peggy described it well, the arrogant wimp. That was me in surgery yesterday. I have a pain level of five. I have a fear level of zero. <laughs> you know, but I can come with you, and we can, with all the differences and back needs and all that stuff, come together, and I've, I've been able to stay sober almost and it, it's a miracle. I'm not supposed to be sober 17 years, and I'm by myself. I've, I've grown up with some people in this room. But Alcoholics Anonymous today, if you're involved, you can be either, either one of two parts of AA. You can be a member of Alcoholics Anonymous simply by having a desire not to drink. That's all it takes. Or as the big book defines, you can be part of the fellowship and to be part of the fellowship of alcohol, just not drinking. And the rewards of recovery, the rewards of individual recepts, come in taking, come about in taking the action to be. When I first came in the program in, in, in Arizona, I was just a member. And thank God through, through all these various uh, movements and God's grace, sponsorship, you know, I, I do feel like I'm, I'm not the best fellow at all times. It's hard to fall off the fellowship. Uh, and I was going to read the 12th tradition long form as my closing today. <laughs> so the only other way I can say is... Thanks, Bill. I'm Jim Ace. I'm an alcoholic. Through God's Grace Program of Alcoholics Anonymous and Sponsorship, I've been sober since the 4th of June, 1976. I am drifting in and out of conscious to subconscious to wherever you go as a result of that, but it's uh, not quite as bad as two of our earlier presenters. They gave us a word, and neither one of them explained it. Right? Right? Chautauqua. Who wants to explain Chautauqua? No, I don't. I'm one of the dummies. Ooh, how? Chautauqua is a place in New York in the first place. The city in New York, it's an Indian name, it's the name of the town. And out of here, there are a bunch of people who went around and who professionally spoke all over the country. And they would put on seminars that may be on religion or science or uh, sociology or Polytonian movement. They did the same thing because the uh, uh, Oxford group members did the same thing. They'd there and talk about spiritual matters and so forth, and much in the same fashion. The uh, Williams Jennings Bryant was a Chautauqua speaker, for an example, a famed member from uh, <clears throat> member of uh, the state of Nebraska, who was uh, quoted as saying that, well, people said William, someone accused him of being like the Platte, his intellect being like the Platte River. It was very broad, but shallow. <clears throat> and, uh, but he was one of the great speakers that was on the side. He was the fellow that some people something being as worthless and as useless as a pitcher of warm spit. And he didn't say that. Uh, he said it was as worthless and useless as a, as a pitcher of warm piss. But uh, 
that's the type of speakers that you had in those days. Thank God they cleaned up their voices today. Thanks, Dick. I am very grateful to, to be here today. I didn't wake up brain dead after the surgery. You know, all of that apprehension. I do want to share something about the surgery because it really ties in to how I fit into everything that's been said here today. You know, when you, if those of you that had that kind of surgery, supposedly it's, it's routine, you're in and out. Well, nothing's routine when they put you all the way under. I mean, you're about as close to death as you ever get. And uh, so I went in this process to ask you all these questions. And they had this one question, what's your, what's your pain level? From one to five, how would you rate your pain level? Five. Right? I'm a five when it comes to pain level. Go through this process. They don't give you pre-op shots anymore. They just wheel you all over the place and shave you, get you in the operating room, lay you out, and then they give you the pentothal or whatever. And so I got in there, and I'm going through this process, and I'm alert, and they put the, the oxygen mask on. And the oxygen mask, the oxygen's control breathing. Now, they want to control your breathing while you're on that table, not you. So it has a, you sort of forced against it. And the last thing I remember before I went out, they forgot to ask me what my fear level was. <laughs> Just as clear as day. Just, don't you know I'm scared now? You know? And that was all related. I was going through this. And they take your blood pressure. It seemed like every time you turn around, click it along at 120 over 65, everywhere you go, even in the operating room. When they first wheeled me in, they took it 120 over, over 70. And they hook you up to the monitor. And then that's also is, is what my fears are. That beep. By the time I went under, it went beep, 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 Basically, a lot of people have talked about it up here, and I, I really like the theme of what I've heard. You know, that, that Alcoholics Anonymous wasn't formed out of quality. It wasn't formed out of quality. It wasn't formed out of, out of high spiritual things. That's been the end result. It was formed out of pain and misery and guilt and shame and, and, and human beings destroying everything important to, to them. That's what, that's what created Alcoholics Anonymous. That's what cre creates us. And as far as I'm concerned, I think the spirit of Alcoholics Anonymous is live and well in this room today. And I think that's what Alcoholics Anonymous is all about. You know, I, several years ago, Clancy was here, and we, I'm going to talk a little bit about some of the things that have happened since Bill died and since the 70s, and that has really been tests of our tradition. And I think we've weathered some of those quite well. But Clancy was here about 10 years ago, and, and, and I think we, he was in Kearney, and several of us rode in a car with him all the way out there. And so uh, that was a, a, a joy and a, and a fear all in itself to spend you know, uh, three, three hours with Clancy in a car because you get grilled about everything, you know, and that's what... And he was, he was talking about that, and he said, you know, I, I was, have been a little concerned about what's going on with, with, with treatment lately and with all these movements and this sort of thing, and he said, then I realized that if, if, even if all of that happened and Alcoholics Anonymous, as I know, disappeared, I know a few people would get together and would start Alcoholics Anonymous. You know, so I, I, I think... What I've heard today, and I hope you've heard it, is the spirit of Alcoholics Anonymous. And as long as the spirit of Alcoholics Anonymous is alive, myself as an alcoholic, my kids if they need it, like Peggy said, my grandkids and great-grandkids, you know, uh, it's going to be there. It's going to be there for them. I um, also heard basically what I want to talk about uh, today 
is how I think that that we have have evolved through with the traditions and a lot of things happening to to move from a definition of membership. You know, the time I've been involved, I've seen that refinement. Maybe it's because of the groups I've been associated with. I've seen the consistency of the principles of the tradition since I went to my first meeting of Alcoholics Anonymous. I didn't stay sober after I went to my first meeting. I went to my first meeting in Tucson, Arizona. As a result of a, of a, of a cry for help I made to a flight surgeon who didn't want to put that on my military records because he, he said, if I do that, then your military career is probably shot and so forth. So he called another person who came over and we went and had coffee and he 12 set me. <clears throat> and, and Don Hickerson did that in June of 1971. And I went to AA for a while, off and on for three years. I loved AA, but I wasn't quite ready yet. As Peggy said and others have said, I still had a little bit of I can do it my own way left. But I remember from the beginning the feeling I had when I went to that meeting, the feeling I had when that individual came out of himself, took a chance, as I saw it, with a stranger to help a stranger. I realize now he was doing that to save his own rear end. But I didn't know it at the time. He treated me with dignity and respect, did not demand anything of me. But at the same time, he wouldn't let me get away with not showing up those meetings because he had to say, I'll be by at a quarter of seven. He was one of those kind of guys. I didn't get a chance to drive my own car to the first five or six AA meeting. I thought that was part of the rules. You can't drive for a while in the <laughs> But he did those things, and the people in those groups there, and I would, <clears throat> I would go out and I would drink, and I would stay out for 30, 60 days, and I'd go back and I'd go to meetings for 30, 60 days. And I did that for about three years, in and out. Uh, to you know, I hit that, that, that place that many of you had, had to hit. It's like I either have to get into AA or get out. At that time, I chose to get out for two more years. But I appreciate the, the, the principles that they showed me all the way through that. When I went to those meetings, no matter when, there was a degree of consistency. There was a kindness. They treated me with that dignity and respect. And one of the greatest things they did for me, that group in, groups in Tucson, was they never told me it was okay. They never told me it was okay. When I, but they always told me they understood. They understood. Well, I, was, I moved to California, and that's where I came in AA, had my last drink on the 4th of June. When I went to that, that meeting on the 5th of June, I walked in there, somebody walked up, shook my hand. I could see very, very quickly that they'd like to treat people with dignity and respect in relationship to whether they stayed sober or not, but still treated with the dignity and respect of, of offering the assistance. And I was home compared to Tucson. Her name was Dick Jones, very uh, involved in the steps in the big book. Got me. Uh, in fact, he was one of the designated group big book thumpers at that time. You know, I'm glad that I, I got involved. I had to leave California two and a half years after I came in the program. Again, it's a geographical move, right? Maybe I can control it again. You know how the alcoholic mind start working in that process. I came to Omaha, went around looking for meetings. I didn't. I had to stick my hand out at those meetings, and I'm glad I was taught to do that. And again, as Peggy said, that there's not an inventory I'm making of those meetings. It's something I have to be aware of from my observations of the past to make sure I don't do it today. I went around, finally, I was getting a little frustrated with it. And I told my wife, I said, I'm going to go, to this, go over to Bellevue, try this meeting. Uh, a gentleman who's my current day sponsor walked in, said, you're not new to A, but you're new to this area. Here's an invitation to my New Year's Eve party. You know, and I've been going ever since. There's been a, a bed of roses, as we said. 
But there's a common thread in my involvement with AA that runs all the way through that whole process. It was consistency of caring for the alcoholic that's walking in that's new. You know, they didn't necessarily practice these traditions in, in Tucson as best I can remember it the way I practice them here with the groups I'm involved with, or in California. But there was a consistency of carrying the message through that, that there was people in each of those groups that were dedicated to making sure the newcomer walked in that group with the message of how to recover from this thing called... I've come to be a true believer that the traditions of Alcoholics Anonymous uh, have become an outgrowth of the steps as we gather together and they create an environment. The traditions create an environment of safety, security, love, concern, where each of us can come in and do these tough things that the, the steps require of each other to do. I also have been shown, not told, I've been shown uh, how important it is to practice. I've also been told that, that when it becomes my responsibility to ensure that environment is, is put together and maintained, and maintain that I will know it, then I have the responsibility to stand up and be part of it. You know, it's easy just to go to meetings. It was easy for me to take NAA for a long time because that's, that's what, what the design was. You, you gave me till I had the strength to be part of. And, it, and I don't know when it was, but at a certain point, I was told in no uncertain terms that you have the responsibility for ensuring these traditions within the, the fellowship of AA you're involved in so that that environment can keep going. So that newcomer can walk in and practice these painful things of the steps of AA. Seemingly in the last <coughs> 15 years or so, and uh, Dick and I had, we were talking about that, this at lunch. I said, you know, when, when uh, Bill Wilson died, it's sort of like there's been no real personality to AA since then. And I didn't realize how good that is. How good that really is. And Peggy did it well when explained how Bill struggled to, to even be part of the traditions he wrote. And in, in a way, AA, when, when Bill died, it was like, okay, now it is the fellowship. It is not the personality anymore. Now, we have some strong leaders in AA. We have some strong leaders in our area. We need leaders. We need AA. You know, I'm the kind of alcoholic. If, if it becomes a debating society, you know, I'm going to just argue my point until it kills me. Uh, and so we need leaders, we need people to, to help set the course and, and break, break the path and all of those things in, in recovery and, 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 and group dynamics as we go through. But we don't have that, that thing of this is Bill Wilson's program anymore. It's our program. In fact, this year at the General Service Conference, the, the entire purpose of General Service AA takes its inventory, which is sort of a misnomer because there's going to be a few people of AA take our inventory. AA is not taking its inventory. Our quote, trusted servants at the inventory. And I think it's imperative when we do that, and that's the way our servicer said, but I, I, I have a real interest now to find out what they inventory. Talk about what's, what's really going on with it. Um, again, the environment the traditions create so we could all do the steps, and, and we have to have those other, other things going. In 1975, uh, I don't know how many of you have heard of the Rand Corporation. Uh, it was a, a group of very intellectual people. And it's a think tank. Uh, that they would gather people with expertise together and say, here's your subject. Go think. 
Wouldn't you like to do that in the AA meeting? Okay, here's your subject. Go in that room and think for a half an hour. But these were very brilliant people. They're brilliant. They're, they're problem-solving type people. They're put together. And the Rand Corporation was, I think, headquartered in, out of Santa Barbara. Well, they did a study, a three-year study, on alcoholism. And they came up with a conclusion that about 20 to 25 percent of alcoholics can be... I was telling Dick, I became one of those 25 percent. <laughs> I read that report, and I said, that's me. It's the discipline I, li- I lack over here that, that, that creates, became that 25% for another year. And that was in 1975, I got sober in There's been studies in, uh, coming out of Canada. Uh, and I'm, I'm talking about some of this stuff because uh, not in violation of the tradition of having an opinion on an outside issue, because I think these are some things that impact on how we need to view the principles of our own tradition. Uh, there's been some studies in Canada lately that, uh, you know, that uh, looking at the same thing the Rand report looking at. In fact, you know, they're they're coming out and saying there's no such thing as alcoholism. That it's a more of a metabolic, uh, chemical imbalance type thing. Well, wait, that starts hitting hitting Holly. The newcomers that we're going to be working with are going to be bringing in. Well, we want to go test that theory, you know, all of that kind of stuff. So I think we have to be aware of what's going on with it. <clears throat> treatment, treatment it has been, uh, prior to 1975, treatment was virtually non There were little pockets of treatment places. Alcoholism treatment, as it's known today, was, was, was not very uh, widespread. It, it hit a pinnacle, hit a peak. Uh, there for a while, you know, treatment of 12-step call became a, you know, with a lot of people, became a tr- uh, taxi ride to treatment center. In some ways today, it still is. You know, we sort of got away from treatment. Allowed us to be the lazy alcoholics that we. It it played right into it. So well, I don't need to go sit up with that drunk all night. I'll just take him over to the treatment center X and put him in detox. And as a fellowship, we we did a lot of that stuff. Now some of this, some of this stuff, as, as we talk about this this errors of the past becoming an asset of today. There's a group of people started looking around. Said this is wrong. When an alcoholic calls us, he's calling he or she is calling Alcoholics Anonymous. They are not calling a treatment. They call a treatment center. That's a different thing. But when they're calling us, they're calling Alcoholics Anonymous. So there's a group of rebels up in Minnesota that had this need to, to carry the message as 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 defined in our twelve steps and through our tradition got together and, and over a period of time developed a program called Bridging the Gap. And you've heard of it, I'm sure. Most of you have. And what we, the reason we need Bridging the Gap, it was like we have, have some of our own members taking people to treatment centers, and then the treatment centers doing whatever they do. Treatment is not good or bad. It's just another place for an alcoholic to go before they have to go to AA. Hey, the way it is. Yeah. So they're not good or bad. But the way we were reacting to, and still do today, reacting to the needs of that alcoholic. You know, you take somebody, the taxi ride on a 12-step call because I'm too inconvenienced to, to sit and have coffee with a person and, and, and share my experience, strength, and hope with them and try to give them to meetings and this sort of stuff. So I take them out to a detox unit, drop them in, and you drop them quick anymore because 
If they don't have insurance, you might have to take them somewhere else. So it, it's sort of like we relegated our responsibility to that person that's calling us for help or gave them over here. But then what do we do? We turn right around. The person's over here. The treatment center says, okay, we'll feed you three times a day. We'll get you, you know, just by being off the booze, you're going to get better. You know, so we take a little time, go through this process. We'll give you some education awareness. We advise you strongly to go to AA. Then what happens many times to the AA members? Many times the AA members said, well, I'm not doing the goddamn treatment business for them. So that person is com- coming out of that part. What do we do? We drop them flat on their face. You know? And I'm going to say all, but I've, I've seen enough of that. So where, where, you know, that, that we have to be careful how we throw stones. You know, if we're not in our own glass house, and that's one of the traditions and the principles of detox. There are people that need detox. They're medically, you know, particularly with a lot of drugs and interactions with all that stuff. If you're involved in that and they need detox, fine, take them to the detox center, but why don't you go see them the next day? See, we sort of get away from that. And that's not meeting that primary purpose that, that we're here for. Uh, treatment centers are, like I say, they're uh, going away, going away in the form that many of you knew when you went through the treatment. I'm a little bit uh, apprehensive about that part of it. Uh, and again, hopefully this doesn't come across as, as a, an opinion, but I did get a, a, a flyer in the mail the other day. It's from the American Psychiatric Association, and they have a new manual. It's a new treatment manual, therapeutic clinical treatment manual and it's entitled alcoholism the newest subspecialty in psychiatry hey that's just reporting that's just reporting i would hope you know again if if, if someone needs that kind of, of special help that they get it i think it's just as bad not to get them to the special it is to 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 relegate our responsibility to that special help if somebody needs it they need it and there's a lot of people that need it. But when I'm involved, uh, and I think most of you know, I've involved, been involved in the treatment business for years. I've never taken anybody to a treatment center. My sponsor won't let me. <laughs> it's that simple. Anyway, I better get off of that pretty quick. <laughs> um, you know, in treatment centers, we've been in that side of it. Treatment centers have, have been really good. You know, it. it Sometimes you got to justify your own existence, uh, so you, you you have to create some things. Uh, I know there's one person in this, like two people in this room that work in treatment. I think they're both involved in very special populations with that, and there are some special needs out there. But we've gone through the thing, and, I, and I, this is almost like an, an applaud for us, if I could do. Uh, I think we've handled the end uh, phase quite well. Uh, you know what that is? It's just somebody comes in, I'm a I'm an alcoholic and an addict and a dysfunctional, sexual pervert. That's me. Yeah. That's, that's like when we read that part at the meeting in the book, big book about all those, those things we've tried. I, I may not be an alcoholic. I have not been committed to a sanitarium yet. I've done all the rest of that stuff. You know, and I can relate to that, and I think a lot of us can relate to those other things. But I think we've handled it well, or I've seen it handled well, when it hasn't been that big. When I've seen it become an issue, then I think you start violating some of the stuff over. I think within what I've seen, the groups I've been associated with, we just keep hammering the tradition. Membership is a desire to stop drinking. 
to stop drinking. So you can be an alcoholic and uh, anything you want to. As long as you're an alcoholic, you can have a desire to stop drinking. There's been a lot of uh, talk about dysfunction and all those other things. Uh, we got a lot of people out there that uh, are making a lot of money, writing books and going on speaking. So there's Tagwas in another form. I just thought of that, in another form. Uh, I've got topics for my book, but my sponsor won't let me write them. <laughs> but it, it, you know, I think the human condition that right now, everywhere, is everybody's, everybody's needy of something. No, you know, it's, it's like a feeling. We don't have roots. We don't have uh, consistency in anything that's going on. That's why I love Alcoholics Anonymous. In spite of all this, I've got consistency, consistency, consistency. This, this is my roots now, and I'm glad I've got it. There's a lot of people out there that don't have what we have. They really don't have what we have. And I, I am personally glad some of those other things have started so they got a place to go. You know? Adult children of alcoholics, if that's all they are, do not fit in our personality. Not by our, our demanding they don't fit, by the simple fact they don't know what it means. You know? And so it's good that, 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 that there are groups that have those things for themselves. Um, you know, I, I think about an asset, too, when, when everybody was talking. You know, an asset is something that, that, that has value that you can use either now or later. It's like having a bank account. That's an asset. When you go fill out a loan for a house or a car, they want to know what your assets are. What are things that you have right now that are of value? And that's sort of weird when you think about it. Pain and suffering and guilt and remorse and all that other stuff is of value. But it is of value because we use it to, to let each other know it's okay because we understand. And again, I'm glad Bill Wilson was, as Peggy said, a jerk. I was talking to somebody the other day, and it's one of these people who, uh, uh, he'll make it to AA eventually. I really believe that. I really believe that. But he's got to, got to finish up some arguments first. He just has to do it. There's no, he doesn't have any choice. He does not have a choice once. He has to finish those arguments first. And he's saying, well, yeah, this AA is just like that cult thing down in Waco. And, you know, and of course, I've, I've had that argument with people before. I said, you don't know much about cults, and you don't know much about alcoholics if you make that statement. In order to be a cult, in a cult, you have to be malleable. You have to deformed to somebody else's desires and wants and needs. Have you ever seen an alcoholic do anything they didn't want to? And I would even pass that on to 90% of the Alamans I know in this room. They're not going to do anything they don't want to do. Dick said it down in Lincoln uh, when, when he did a, a step study about a month ago. And he just looked around the room and, and he said, you know, there's not a follower in this room. Think about that. And several people allude to that. There's not a follower in this room. We all have to be in charge. It has to be our way. <laughs> and what do we do? We come and give of ourselves. You're quiet and you're attentive, even though you probably don't believe a word I'm saying, or you're, some of you out there are saying, I can do it better than he can, and what makes him an authority on all this crap? I know that, because I said I can do the same thing. <laughs> yeah? But we, despite all that, we come together. We come together to help each other. We come together to help each other. And I, that's the kind of group I want to be associated with. And as, as a result of all of that, you know, this other stuff, this other stuff that, that's, that's seemingly happening out there, you know, celebrities breaking their You know, you got to go to this special treatment center. It's the only one. You know, that's bull. 
as long as we keep the focus, the steadiness, the discipline of making the principles of AA foremost in the groups we go. Nobody can hurt us. Nobody can hurt us. And, but we got to have some excitement. Going to the same old meetings with the same old people, talk, get bored. Got to stir it up every once in a while.